0: Hello, and welcome to Unscripted, Conversations About Sexual and Domestic Violence, a podcast featuring employees and subject matter experts from domestic and sexual violence services and partner organizations discussing all aspects of interpersonal violence, plus solutions and resources for support for residents of Fairfax County. I'm your host, Kendra Lee, and on this edition of Unscripted, I'm talking with Sarah Freeman, Licensed Professional Counselor with Domestic and Sexual Violence Services, also known as DSVS. Jennifer Perkins, ADAPT Counselor, also of DSVS, and Marcus Garr, Parenting Education Program Supervisor, Children, Youth, and Families Prevention Programs in the Department of Family Services, and we'll be discussing parenting after domestic violence. Sarah, Jen, Marcus, thanks for being here on Unscripted Conversations about sexual and domestic violence. When someone's in a relationship where abuse is used by one partner to control the other, this is what we know as domestic violence. And we might think only the people in the relationship are impacted, but the truth is it doesn't just affect the adults in the, in the relationship. Living with domestic violence takes a toll on the whole family. Even if the immediate danger has passed, children who have witnessed domestic violence between their parents or who may have been targets of violence themselves might still be angry or afraid. If the abuse has gone on for a long time, these children might even experience more serious problems like depression or anxiety difficulties in school or substance misuse. But it's not all bleak. With assistance, parents can find ways to help their children cope with stress, be safe, and heal. And that's what we'll talk about today on this episode of Unscripted Conversations about sexual and domestic violence. Marcus, I'm going to start with you. Walk me through this. What might parents see in their children who have witnessed violence between mom and dad or in children who've experience victims themselves experience violence themselves,
1: and 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 that's a tricky question because there's a variety of things that you may or may not see. Um, so things that you may see, um, from 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 a parenting standpoint, it are certain behaviors. So they may be behaviors that. Tend to be more aggressive. There may be behaviors where a child may be more um, withdrawn. Um, Sometimes parents may not see anything from their child and think that they're okay, but in reality, that may be a bit of a red flag, also. Um, So you know, it's 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 really hard to 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 say, um, you know, what exactly you're going to see. But anytime you see any kind of major changes in your child's, um, you know, normal behavior, um, a, a change in aggression, change in friends, um, change in, you know, school, um, and academic, uh, 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 grades and those kinds of things, even things like, um, headaches and stomach aches, um, due to anxiety, you're going to see, you know, those kinds of things.
0: Okay. So basically, what you're saying is, if your child has seen violence between you and your partner, or been the victim themselves, seek help. Just a given, <laughs> regardless of what what you're seeing or not seeing.
1: You would want to do that, and 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 have conversations and observe. Um, you know, I found with uh, within our parenting classes, we really we talk about taking the time to really sit back and observe rather than reacting to a lot of things to really understand what you know to try to understand what's really going on behind the behaviors or behind what's going on so really observing taking the time to to to, to really find out what is what is, is is going on behind what you may actually see or what you may not see you know some parents think that they're going to see these things and they they don't and uh, a child may, um, seem like they're, they're perfectly fine, especially in in, in boys and young boys. And a lot of times, parents feel like, "Oh, he's fine." You know, they, um, you know, he, he's taking he's taking on a you know the role of of, of dad, and you know, he's 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 taking care of his brothers and sisters. You know, he's handling it well externally. That may be, um, but internally, there's maybe a lot of feelings that he's holding me in. Um, the boys and girls, too, but particularly the experts have found that they they, they found that boys tend to to hold it in just because of societal kinds uh, mm-hmm. of, of things you know boys don't cry, boys don't talk about their feelings and those kinds of things and they they internalize mm-hmm. that. Um yeah. but then it may come out later you know towards adolescence. Um, there's a a psychologist by the name of by the name of Judith Wallerstein who coined the term the sleeper effect. And that is that, you know, you don't see those kind of changes in aggressive behaviors, especially in boys, until they reach those later um, adolescent
2: years.
0: OK. So, Sarah, if the family is still together. How should the nonviolent parent plan for safety for their child?
3: Sure. Um I think considering their child is the first step. Um Being sure that there's open communication and breaks for that a child would feel welcome to talk about anything that they're experiencing or any support that they might need. Um, Making sure that other parties or healthy adults that are in the child's life are aware that stuff might be going on at home, which can be a really hard thing for parents to share with others. But other supportive adults that might be able to check in with the child or suggest, um, you know, a club or something after school just to keep them in a, um, healthier environment or in their own sort of free space, um, before coming home to any conflict. Um, I think the healthy relationship with their kid in order to Allow the child to come to them if there is a fight or an argument or, you know, something broken, something heated, one of the parties disappears for a few days, what have you, or finances disappear, and that the child can ask questions and can feel comfortable to talk about what's going on around them. Um. There's a fine line between oversharing with a child about these things and keeping, you know, the environment calling it for what it is and teaching them that they can
0: speak up about what they're experiencing. I'm glad you brought this up because I, that's something that I wanted to talk about. Do you recommend that parents talk to their children about the violence that's going on at home? And, and how would you talk about that? Like you said, you don't want to overshare, but. How do you how do you say, Daddy's beating mommy? But I, I mean, like you wouldn't say that. But how would you say it?
2: Yeah, I
3: think that um, this is something any parent in this situation, if, if they're perpetrating the violence or um, a victim of the violence or both, is afraid to talk to their child about. And the biggest step one is listening. Um, saying, you know. You know, what's on your mind? What have you, you know, been stuck on in your thoughts? Um, do you have any questions about what you saw or, you know, steps that either parent had to take? Some more process oriented, what they're experiencing. Um, when it's appropriate, calling it for what it is. You know, I, I know that you heard our argument last night. I know that you saw the fight or you see my black eye. Um, do you have any questions about that or what happened or what's going to happen next? Um, the parent might not know what's going to happen next, but allowing that space that the child feels like they can say what they've been processing. The child might have this fantastic or, you know, imaginary role play of what's going on or what's going to happen next. And, and that might be rational or irrational. So a parent knowing what's going on is really helpful. Um, Being able to say, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm going to try to keep you safe in these ways can be really, really reassuring for the
0: child. Jen, you work in ADAPT, Domestic and Sexual Violence Services, Anger and Domestic Abuse Prevention and Treatment Program. So I imagine many, if not most of the people who come to your group's are people who have caused harm in their relationships. How do those parents, what do they need to know about parenting after
4: domestic violence? Good question. So first and foremost, um, going back to something that was said earlier, they need to know that even if the children were not in the home, that they are impacted. They didn't actually, they don't need to see violence to be impacted. They can pick up on, um, a coldness or a tension between parents. They could pick up on depression, anxiety, fear, anger, all those things. Um, they know when there's something going on between their parents, whether they're there or not. So, um, we do a lot of educating around that because a lot of folks say, well, my children were asleep or they weren't at home, so they're fine. Um, and so, um, and kind of piggybacking on what Marcus said earlier, even if they are acting fine and presenting as fine doesn't mean that they're fine or they're not aware that something going on. Um, so the first step is just acknowledging it, uh, acknowledging that something happened, that it was harmful, and that it impacted the entire family, whether they were present or not, that it does impact everybody in the entire family system. Um, so the first step is acknowledgement. And sometimes that takes a while for, for folks to get to a place where they can acknowledge it because there's a lot of shame um, that comes with acknowledging that you did something that harmed, especially your children. Um, it's really hard for a lot of people to sit with and admit and talk about. Um, so that is really the first step. Um, and then the second step is... Um, Understanding also, and again, this is kind of an education piece for folks as well, that when they're harming their partner, that that is harming their children. And um, as a matter of fact, there is research that suggests that witnessing your parents being abused by your other parent is more harmful to children than direct child abuse. Um, so understanding how harmful that is and that when you're harming you cannot harm your children's other parent without harming them, that that is a form of child abuse. So a lot of education uh, around that. And then the biggest piece is accountability, which is um, being able to talk. And when they do come to us, a place where they can talk to their children about that. Um, Sarah touched on things you can say, and we always encourage our folks to chat with a therapist who's seen their child to make sure that they're ready to hear these things that it's developmentally appropriate to where the child's at. Some of the things that we tell them if that conversation were to take place in a safe environment and um, violence needs to stop immediately for this to happen is um, some of the things we tell them are um, to say that my behavior was not okay and violence is not okay, that they are responsible and taking that accountability. That it's not the child's fault. Children t- often blame themselves when something's going wrong in the home. Mm-hmm. That it's not the other parent's fault either. That I'm sorry that you had to see or hear that, validating those feelings. Um You must have been scared. I will listen to you. It's okay if you were mad at me, scared of me. I would be too. You shouldn't have to have this happen in our family, and your feelings are important. So we give them some dialogue should, um, be decided that this, um, conversation would take place. And again, we, we do encourage them to have their child be seen by a therapist. Um, and fortunately, our agency offers, uh, free therapy services to children who have been impacted by domestic violence. So, um, hopefully with a therapist, they could decide if and when this conversation is Going to be in the child's best needs.
0: I'm also thinking about how a lot of people think violence happens. The nonviolent parent takes the children and they leave. But what if you're co parenting after violence? How do you do that?
1: I mean, I'll, I'll say that it's, it, it, it it, it's, it, it can be tough. It can be tough. Um, but you know, you want to, to, to understand and you want, uh, you know parents to understand that you know there's still two parents that both of those parents are, are just, you know still your mother they're still your father and they still want to be there for you and um you know parents really have to figure out how they can co-parent um in that relationship and a lot of times it it may you know not necessarily be um a what we call a, a cooperative co parenting relationship. Mm-hmm. It may be more of a, a parallel parenting relationship where there's not a lot of, you know, dialogue. It may not and, and, and it can change. It can it can go back and forth but you know between that parallel and that cooperative co
2: parenting kind
1: of type of relationship. Um, but it may start off more of that parallel where you're kind of, you know, kind of parenting almost on parallel planes. There's not a lot of dialogue. Um In regards to to everyday kinds of things, there's only dialogue about those important things for, you know, as in, in regards to your child or your children. Um, you know, like school, um, you know, healthcare, educational kinds of things. Um, really, you know, just making sure, um, that you are, are, are keeping yourself, you know, safe, but allowing your child to understand that they still have that other, you know, that other parent and the other parent wants to be wants to be there for them. Um a lot of parents use things like um electronic um communication emails and and, and text messages. Um folks um use you know create like you know memos um about those important things to 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 um communicate with the other parent. Um there is parenting apps and parenting programs Um, web programs that, that parents, um, can utilize to help with that communication, um, you know, with that co-parent. Um, but I, 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 it, it is important to, for, you know, the parents to let the child understand that, that they can still love that other parent, um, regardless of their relationship. So that's, that's kind of a, a start to that question, (laughs) I would guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
3: I'll add. On the child side that, um, you know, reevaluating what Marcus said, reevaluating as it goes along because things can change. Um, and, you know, setting expectations that the kids know what it might look like as, as you're going through the process that might look like, well, these are rules at mommy's house. These are rules at daddy's house. And these are expectations I have for you here. And, it, it can look very different at both households. You don't have to, that parallel parenting, it doesn't have to be in unison on all aspects as if you're under one roof, um, but communicating what the differences look like and giving that space for the child to share what's frustrating, what works well, what doesn't work well. You don't have to 100% either parent doesn't have to 100% adapt to the child's wants or experience, but being able to validate them and um, be there for the process. Ooh.
1: And also let them uh, and, and let them to be able to, to uh, uh, allow for mistakes as they navigate that also, especially for the younger children trying to understand the differences between mom's house
2: and dad's house.
1: So I think that's important also, um, you know, when it comes to parenting, because parenting. parents, you know, sometimes expect, you know, that they have they tell a child once, they tell them twice. And, you know, they should know, you know, but it's definitely not how it works, especially with children who may have experienced, you know, domestic violence and those kinds of things.
0: What happens if the child blames the nonviolent parent? What do you do? How do you handle that? They blame them for not keeping them safe. They blame them for the violence that happened. What do you do? How What do you say to that child?
2: Well,
3: I guess I'll start with that question because I get that all the yes. time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that that's very common um, in my experience. And it could be for not protecting the child for not leaving the relationship or not recognizing that it was an unhealthy relationship. Children are really smart, regardless of their age, and they are so perceptive. Um, So that can hurt. It it can hurt hearing that from your child. Um, And so allowing yourself to know as a parent that my child experienced violence and has their own reaction to the violence. And their own mm-hmm. healing time and way of processing the violence so that that anger is normal but might mm-hmm. continue um, for longer than the parent is ready for the parent might have moved past an anger stage in their healing but the child's still there so you know if developmentally appropriate and the child's in a good place to you know the parent could choose to explain choices that they made example i was waiting until i had the finances to make a move so that it was safest for all of us or i had to wait for x y and z to happen or just you know that that accountability piece of it was a really hard decision for me to make and i just wasn't ready to make it yet you know not an excuse just calling it for what it is
0: so how do you talk about an unhealthy relationship and escaping an unhealthy relationship? How do you prepare your children who've seen domestic violence or experienced it in any form? How do you prepare them for healthy relationships? Sarah, I'll let you answer that one too.
3: <laughs> <laughs> sure. I don't want to take all the time, but I'm I'm happy to answer that one too. That's my wheelhouse. Um I think that um endless conversations about respect um What feels good, what doesn't feel good as far as how you're treated, what you experience, what you hear, what you see, that you teach others how you want to be treated. Um, and that relationships can recover, you know, that something, an aspect of a relationship could be unhealthy, but it can evolve. People can learn and change. They don't always, but it can. Mm-hmm. Um Lessons learned from parents' experiences or other family members. Again, children see aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, neighbors, churchgoers. You know, you name it. They see relationships every single day, mm-hmm. and so lessons learned along the road. Being able to talk about those, like, hey, do you remember when you saw so and so fighting at Fourth of July? You know, do you think that that was a healthy way of talking or not? You know, processing real life experiences can be a way or I love complimenting them. I love how you brought that to my attention. You were worried about it, and you didn't like how I responded to you, or I was yelling at you last night. Thank you for talking to me about that, because now I can change, because I know that it upset you. Um, And asking kids, like, um, you know, knowing yourself, how, how do you want to be loved? You know, your love language when you're a little bit older, but How do you receive love and process love? And I I use love broadly. You know, how do you, um, receive relationships, um, friendship, kindness? What does that look like for you? What do you need from others to feel, um, safe and happy and like you're in a good relationship?
0: Okay.
1: I I can add a little bit to to kind of what Sarah was saying is I I think it's, it's highly underrated with parents a lot of times. It's just role modeling, even if you don't have, you know, these conversations, which you should. But even if you don't, role modeling what a healthy relationship looks like, you know, and and not continuing to continuing to engage in an unhealthy relationship. So just, you know, that that role modeling piece. And and, uh, again, I think Sarah or Jen, you know, mentioned that, you know, children are very smart. They're very perceptive. They see everything that we are doing as parents. And you know, if we can role model those kinds of healthy relationship kinds of kinds of things, they'll pick that up. Okay. You know, stuff.
0: So where do we go if you have survived domestic violence and your children have survived? Where do you go for help? You guys all work in programs throughout the county. How do I get in touch with you guys if I'm looking for this service? Marcus, I'll start with you.
1: Um, on my end, parenting education. So we um, do parenting education classes with uh, parenting education programs and we have classes, um, you know, all across Fairfax County um, and our classes are based on age and, and development of the children. So we kind of break them up into three types of classes. We have classes for um, parents with children, zero to four early childhood, um, parents, classes for parents with children. Um, who are school age five to 11 and then, um, classes for parents with um, teenagers. And so, you know, really just coming and really having a better understanding of, you know, what, what it, what it means to parent, what it looks like. How can you, what does a healthy parenting relationship look like? Um, we even take it a step further with what we call arc reflections classes and those arc reflection classes, um, ARC it stands for Attachment, Regulation, and Competency. And those classes are geared towards, um you know, for, for parents who have children who may have experienced, you know, some violence or some kind of trauma and how it affects their behaviors and how it shows up and how we as parents can, you know, observe and respond appropriately to help our children stay in balance. And even gives parents um, the opportunity to understand, you know, trauma that they may have experienced and how it shows up in their parenting and, um, you know, how to work through those kinds of things. So, you know, those kinds of things really give parents uh, an opportunity to, to 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 learn. And what's unique about our classes is the parents and children attend together yeah. so they can have those conversations in a setting where it can be kind of, um, uh, you know, scripted and led for them to have, you know, those appropriate conversations.
0: Okay. And Jen, ADAPT is court mandated in some cases, but not all cases. I can attend ADAPT if, I, if I've if i harmed family or if I'm thinking about harming family without it being court mandated, correct?
4: Correct. Yes. And I just want to add that um, people who cause harm um, oftentimes are still going to be involved in their children's lives, even if the Other parent who is more of a, say, the victim of the domestic violence decides to leave. There's still a co-parenting situation that children are going to have relationships likely with both parents. Um, so it's important that everybody get help, not just the survivors and the children, but those who cause harm as well. They're still going to be interacting, not just with their children, but with the world. They might have another partner at some point, right? So we want to treat everybody. Um, and what we do, what we can offer at Adopt is we do a free um, intake evaluation where we assess the domestic violence because domestic violence, the causes sometimes are very layered and complex. Um, a lot of mm-hmm. folks who cause harm have mental health and substance use disorders. They themselves have a significant history of trauma. And if they don't get help for those things, then the violence is likely to continue. So it's not as simple as, you know, putting them in a domestic violence group. Um, Maybe they need substance use treatment. Maybe they're addicted to alcohol. We see that a lot with domestic violence. If they're not, they're not going to benefit from any other program if they're not sober. Um, So we do evaluations and find out what was involved in the domestic violence. What's this person struggling with? Um, what are, what services are needed for the, the likelihood of the violence to discontinue? Um, and what, what, what services are, um, identified to help the person getting them those services, referring them to those services? Um, sometimes it is our program. Sometimes it's a Marcus's program. Sometimes it's both. <laughs> Sometimes it's all of the above. So <laughs> we need to figure that out. Um, but would you like me to give uh, the ADAPT phone number? Please. So if anybody is interested in ADAPT or just learning more, we'll do orientation and registration sessions over the phone for even partners who want to learn more about their program for their loved one or someone they're in a relationship with. So anyone can call our main number. It's an automated number, but that can connect you to different services in English or Spanish. Um, and that number is 703-968-4052. Repeat it again, please. <laughs> 703-968-4052.
0: Okay. Thanks, Jen. And Sarah, how do I get into counseling if, if I need it or my children need it? Sure. So the best number to keep
3: is our domestic violence hotline as a starting point, which is 703-360-7273, 703-360-7273. And for counseling side, we offer up to 10 sessions of individual counseling for anyone. That can be the parent, that can be a child, you don't have to be a parent, um, just individual counseling. Um, and the person who has caused harm um, very frequently have experienced and been the victim of some type of violence over the course of their life as well. So sometimes we very much share the same people that we're serving with the ADAPT program. Um, so all are welcome. Um, and it's it's up to 10 individual sessions. It's for free. Um, we have virtual and in-person. We have bilingual Spanish and English staff members, but we also operate in any language via interpreter as well. We also have group counseling, um, not for children at this time, but we are looking to grow in that direction. But for um, adult men, adult women, um, and some in Spanish and English.
0: Marcus, you guys' programs are in Spanish as well,
4: correct?
1: Absolutely. We um, have classes that are taught in Spanish, um, that's that are taught in English, and we have virtual classes uh, as well. Um, so, um, you know, we, we want to make sure that we are, you know, reaching, you know, parents and families, you know, any way possible. Um, I will give the number to um, our parent support line, and that number is 703. 324 720. Shall I repeat it? Yes, please. Seven zero seven zero three three two four seven seven two zero, 324 7720. And that is the the, the line that a, a parent can call to get enrolled in a parenting class. Um and there's several other programs you can do, um, uh, connected with prevention. Um, there's healthy families, Fairfax for um Prenatal moms, um, to learn more about, uh, you know, just child development and, and how to, you know, manage being a new mom. Um, we have a, a, net, a networks program for, uh, individuals who are maybe having some, 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 um, challenges or struggles in school, you know, finding them appropriate services and those kinds of things. Um, we have our, our Medicaid waiver program, um, And you can call the parent support line even just to have someone to kind of process uh, an issue you may be having with your child for that day. If you're struggling with potty training, we can talk to you and and work through the processes of potty training. If you're having challenging behaviors, if you're having some some behaviors that you're not understanding, why is this happening? Um, We can process those kinds of
2: things with you as well. So
1: you can get into a class or you can just call to, to get some some parenting, you know, coaching, parenting kind of thoughts, parenting education kind of thoughts to work through some things as well.
3: And Marcus reminded me that I definitely lapsed on that as well as our domestic violence hotline too. Same thing. We're here to chat as well. Um, We have an amazing hotline, responsive staff that is all very much trained in trauma to help. If you're not ready to come to actual counseling, please call to chat and talk through what you're going through.
4: Okay.
0: Thanks, guys. Jen, I think you had a really good poem that you wanted to read that kind of sums up this whole discussion.
4: You do. Um, well, first, I want to say, Marcus, I wish I knew about your hotline when I was potty training Mike.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. um,
4: this poem is called As I Grow, and it's written from the perspective of a child. Please understand that I'm growing up and changing very fast. It must be difficult to keep pace with me, but please try. Listen to me and give me brief, clear answers to my questions. Then I will keep sharing my thoughts and feelings. Reward me for telling the truth, then I am not frightened into lying. Tell me when you make mistakes and what you learn from them. Then I can accept that I am okay even when I blunder. Pay attention to me and spend time with me. Then I can believe I am important and worthwhile. Do the things you want me to do. Then I have a good, positive role model. Trust and respect me. Even though I am smaller than you, I have feelings just like you. Compliment me and appreciate me. Then I'll feel good and I'll want to continue to please you. Help me explore my unique interests, talents, and potential. In order for me to be happy, I need to be me and not you or someone you want me to be. Be an individual and create your own happiness. Then you can teach me the same. Then I can live a happy, successful life. Thank you for hearing me. I love you.
0: Thanks, Jen. That'll do it for this edition of Unscripted, Conversations about Sexual and Domestic Violence. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Sarah Freeman, Jen Perkins, and Marcus Garr for joining us. If you or someone you know has experienced interpersonal violence, call the Domestic and Sexual Violence 24-Hour Hotline at 703-360-7273. That's 703-360-7273. Or visit FairfaxCounty.gov and search for domestic and sexual violence. To listen to other county podcasts, visit www.FairfaxCounty.gov slash podcast. Unscripted Conversations About Sexual and Domestic Violence is produced by the Fairfax County, Virginia government.